It's important to think about genetically where you're from because you may be predisposed to a totally different type of sleep than we're doing in our society today. It doesn't have to be eight hours. It does have to be amazing quality sleep. But the myth that it's one number that is going to solve everybody's on the whole planet's problem is not going to work. And I think that's where the message really resonates like with that heal thyself. You are you. And the only way you're going to solve sleep is if you start thinking in terms of not whatever everybody does to sleep, but what are the metrics and framework that are going to help you sleep better? All right, everyone, welcome to Heal Thyself. What an amazing show I got for you today. All right, we have a very special guest. We're going to be talking about sleep. This is Tara Youngblood from Chili Sleep, a little invention that is really changing a lot of people's lives because they're sleeping better in a cool environment. But we're going to talk about the science of sleep we got to find out, should we all be getting to bed at the same time, or are we biologically different? And what do those genetic changes mean for our overall health? And also, how do we get to bed earlier? How do we get to bed at a decent time? How do we stay asleep? All of the hacks to get the best, best, best sleep of your life, she's going to be giving us, and ooh, this knowledge bomb. So many times, I'll open up TikTok, and I'm hearing new trends over and over, and I'm scratching my head going, okay, I never heard of this. I feel like there might be something to it. Other times I'm saying, oh, okay, I don't know if this is good at all. This might even be harmful. So we're going to iron out the truth or the myth behind so many of these TikTok trends. It's going to be a really good knowledge bomb. Thank you for joining the show as always and taking the time out of your day to be here for Heal Thyself. Without further ado, let's get into it. All right, everyone, check it out. I love to sleep. Sleeping is a pillar of health. I am a Tasmanian devil when I don't sleep, and I am bright and lively, and I got all the ideas and creativity flowing through me when I do sleep. And guess what? I got a sleep expert on the show right now. We got a sleep scientist, Tara Youngblood, co-founder of Chili Sleep, and this is a device that has changed my life, helps me sleep so much better with temperature regulation. But we're going to talk all about sleep. We're going to talk about the myths about sleep, but really the idea is to get you getting better sleep, waking up refreshed, and feeling like you can go about the day and your fullest potential. Tara, welcome to the show. I am so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I, I, listen, you're very welcome. Thank you for coming. Uh, this is, as I mentioned off air, so important, so essential. I know what sleep does. It, I can't out-eat, poor sleep. I can't out-work out, poor sleep. If I don't sleep well, I mentioned Tasmanian devil, I'm like a Tasmanian devil. The whole house is a mess and my life is a mess. So I'm so excited to talk to you today about so many things. To kick it off, I'm going to ask you the question that really blew me away. Is sleeping eight hours a night a myth? Absolutely. So eight hours actually came about not because of some magical science. It actually came about during the Industrial Revolution when factory workers were fighting to have eight hours off consistently. So like one block of time so they could sleep and go home and be with their families. And it kind of stuck. Lots of lots of these numbers that we go by come from those kind of things. And when you were trying to study sleep, the one thing you could measure was how long someone was in bed versus when they were out of bed because we didn't have all of the science and trackers and things that we have today. And so we got to this benchmark of eight hours, but there's billions of us and we all sleep differently. And actually prior to the industrial revolution, most people slept in multiple segments called polyphasic sleep. So uh, those naps, that siesta, the reason there's a word for siesta is because it's a thing and it's been done all over the world. Um, there is often first sleep or second sleep. You can see the references and Dickens and some of those old literature where they're talking about different sleeps. They're actually talking about different segments of sleep. And oftentimes they'd go to sleep not that different than what they do in Spain today where they come home from work around four, take a nap. They might eat a lighter dinner between nine and 10. And then they'd go out and party and be social and hang out until like from like 10 to one. So culturally, sleep is a big part of what we do as well. So it's important to think about genetically where you're from because you may be predisposed to a 
totally different type of sleep than we're doing in our society today. It doesn't have to be eight hours. It does have to be amazing quality sleep. And we can get into what that equals. But the myth that it's one number that is going to solve everybody's on the whole planet's problem is not going to work. And I think that's where the message really resonates, like with that heal thyself. You are you. And the only way you're going to solve sleep is if you start thinking in terms of not what everybody does to sleep, but what are the metrics and framework that are going to help you sleep better? Mm, That's so well said, because when we think about it in that light, then we go, wait a minute, wait a minute. This cookie cutter recommendation for my sleep doesn't necessarily have to fit me. Because I know the importance of taking off a little bit in the afternoon, that little siesta, and how energized I feel the rest of the day, and how, even how better my sleep is. Um, I know people who love naps. I know people who can't nap. I know people who kind of found their groove and other people who are really looking for their groove. But you mentioned something that really stuck out to me, the genetics, right? So mm-hmm. you mean to tell me that genetically we're all different as far as our sleep requirements? Yeah, so it's actually predisposed. It's called chronotype. They discovered it in the 1970s. You might have heard it talked about as like morning person or night person. But when we sleep and how we sleep and how flexible we are on that sleep schedule is actually all driven by our genetics. Now, just like everything in our lives, you can overcome that. And oftentimes you'll start with that predisposition to morning person or nighttime person or somewhere in between. But as we get older and as we become parents, some of that slips. It's about the length of that PRE3 gene. And so that may change as you go throughout your life, but it is a genetic predisposition. So if you're the kind of person that thrives on staying up until one or two in the morning, you're probably a night person. But if you're someone like me that wakes up in the morning, I'm most productive in the morning. I really want to get my stuff done by noon if it's like big, heavy thinking stuff. Um, and I'm, I'm much more rigid as a morning person as well. I have a much harder time back to those naps. I, unless I'm really sick or there's jet lag or something, I'm really not going to feel like I want to take a nap. And so that is that is where that difference is. And daytime people are the middle people. Um, they have much more flexibility too, but they're going to lean one way or another. We're big giant bell curve in our population. And we need to think about where we fit in that bell curve um, as far as how we're going to be predispositioned. But we have a chronotype quiz on our website. Um, You know, you can Google them. There's tons of them out there. Uh, It's not really hard to do. You answer a few questions and you pretty get pretty close. You don't have to do a genetic test to figure it out. Awesome to hear. And how many chronotypes are, are there out there? So generally, like we describe it in three buckets. Most of the population is actually going to fit in that middle. Think about that bell curve again. You know, everyone likes to call them different things. We call them daylights because they have the biggest range. Um, And then you've got your extreme morning person. They're going to want to wake up at four or five in the morning and, you know, ready to go. And then your extreme night person may go to bed around two or three at night. And that's going to be how it works. But most of us, like I said, kind of start edging in from those two edges of the extreme and to that middle part. But sleep, just like everything else, there is not one size fits all. So if it's not working, for you to have a very rigid schedule, you may be a night person and you may need to do more naps or have a more of a polyphasic sleep schedule. You know, skincare isn't just about looking good, right? A lot of us want to look good, but it's not just about looking good. It's about nurturing your skin and being well balanced from the inside out. And, you know, this world is flooded with a bunch of harsh chemicals that are really insulting our skin, our barrier. And you want something truly effective that is safe. Alitura is one of the best in the game. If you never heard of Alitura, you just think of, you might've seen some uh, black bottles with gold writing on it. It's one of the best and they're always at health events and people are loving them and their quality. Alitura Naturals has crafted a serum that is not only safe, but also incredibly effective. Listen, a lot of you ask me where I get my glow from. This is a huge part of the equation. Their gold serum isn't just another skincare product. It's a testament to the power of natural healing and a commitment to holistic health. It uses organic ingredients like jojoba, olive, rosehip oils, and the gold serum is made organically with plant-derived vitamin A, not synthetic stuff, not that nasty stuff that you're getting in a lot of these over-the-counter products, GHKCU, and marine collagen to revitalize your skin. Alitura Naturals has been using the best ingredients in their products for years. They've been pioneering the path for what truly transformed skin should be. So if you're ready to take control of your skin health and experience the pinnacle of natural beauty, I highly recommend checking out Alitura Naturals. For a limited time, you, the Heal Thyself listener, will enjoy the exclusive discount, just the Heal Thyself discount, only for you. 
That's 20% off of this gold serum. Go to alitura.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That's A-L-I-T-U-R-A.com and get that 20% discount. It's amazing stuff. I use it every night before bed and I'm telling you, I'm on fire with my skin in a good way. Check it out. It's been a long time since I promoted a coffee because there's not that many good coffee brands. We got one of the best ones now on Heal Thyself. Are you ready to elevate your coffee game? And experience to prove it's not only delicious, but it's also health focus. Let me introduce you to Purity Coffee. You heard me review them in one of my first ever coffee reviews as one of the best, and then my second ever one as one of the best, and it's one of the best still. It's an ultimate choice for coffee lovers who, who prioritize taste as well as well-being. I'm gonna tell you what makes Purity Coffee stand out from the crowd. Every step in their process is rooted in health-focused principles backed by solid scientific research-based rigorous testing. They use the finest specialty-grade organic Arabica beans and then move on to small batch roasting, ensuring that each cup meets the highest standards of quality. But what really sets Purity Coffee apart from all the other coffee brands is their dedication, is my favorite, is their dedication to purity and safety. Their beans undergo third-party testing to ensure they're free of pesticides, toxins, and harmful mycotoxins, those pesky substances that can wreak havoc on your health, causing issues like liver and kidney damage, digestive problems, brain fog, and fatigue. Purity Coffee also has some of the highest antioxidant capacity. And this is important because we have to understand coffee is actually really good for us when we're getting quality coffee. And the reason it's good for us and ensures so many benefits, especially heart health, is because of its antioxidant capacity. Purity has one of the highest antioxidants that you're going to find in coffee, giving you a powerful dose of healthy boosting compounds with every sip. Purity Coffee is grown on regenerative organic farms that prioritize soil health, animal welfare, and community well-being. They have certifications by USDA Organic, Rainforest Alliance, and Smithsonian Bird Friendly. You can also trust Purity Coffee is not only good for you, but also good for the planet. They have a range of roasts from their light medium roasts with sweet fruity notes and their dark roasts with rich bold taste. So to try out one of my favorite coffees in existence and one that I recommend to everyone still to this day, I've been doing it for years, is Purity Coffee. Go to puritycoffee.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your first purchase. That is P-U-R-I-T-Y-C-O-F-F-E-E.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your order. You know, this is so interesting to hear because I remember I was watching all of these entrepreneurial and business videos years ago, and they're like, you got to wake up at four in the morning, five in the morning. If you want to do this in your life, if you want to build this business, you got to be up before everyone's up. I was like, okay, let me just wake up then. And I'm waking up so early, and I swear I'm walking like a zombie for three hours. I couldn't get anything done. My brain was not even online until like 7.30, 8 o'clock. And I was like, I don't know if I'm very productive waking up early. I just feel pretty miserable, you know, and I'm just mm -hmm. dragging around the house and trying to get work done. So then I was like, all right, what does my body say? And then I started getting to bed uh, earlier, but waking up not that earlier. And, and it was so much better. I felt so much better. And now I know I've, I've kind of dialed it in when my work is most efficient and then once I'm turning off, when I'm turning off and what my body needs. So I think I'm right there in the middle of that bell curve. I'm, I'm sort of like, you know, with the rest of the population. I ain't too early, I ain't too late. Um, but how do we take that test? It's on the website? Yeah, or even just Google Chronotype. So sleep.me, we have one. Um, but if you Google Chronotype quiz, um, there's going to be a, you know, a million different answers. And you, most of them will give you, you can even do a PDF and score it yourself. It's really, like I said, it's not that complicated. Most of the questions are around when do you feel your best? And that'll give you some sort of gauge of where you fit. So um, it's not, not tough to figure it out. You'll catch me taking that test right after this podcast. But let me ask you a question. What is happening? What is the that you mentioned that PR3 gene was it that the, mm -hmm. the gene that is helping dictate our sleep? What is that dictating? Is it our dictating our sleep wake cycle, the, the our circadian clocks? What, what's happening in our bodies as far as that genetic variation? Yeah, it is. It is actually exactly that. It's telling us our clock. So most of us know our clock on our computer and we know that that runs our calendar and then our calendar tells us when to do things. It's really no different for your body. So there's a mechanism for sleep. There's actually two different mechanisms that work for sleep and different ways in which your body regulates it. But when we think about it, that clock really does run us. It tells us our highest blood pressure. It also tells us when we should work out, when we're going to be our cognitive best, when we're going to be our most creative. Um, so if you Google some of those chronotype quizzes, they'll actually give you some other tips during the day of just stopping to understand yourself a little bit better. And, and when we think about that, a lot of it really came from evolution and where our 
ancestors came from, how they were predisposed. A lot of the hotter climates are going to have naps in the afternoon because it's just hot outside. You need to take a break. Um, and so, and then the colder climates are going to have more of that early person because you need to get out there and get started because you don't have much light uh, in the wintertime. So, you know, really think about all of those pieces because that really does define a lot of how that gene is going to be expressed in you. Wow, we, it's funny we don't think about our evolutionary lineage. What is our family? Where do we come from? How did we grow? Not even just eating, but like sleep-wake, light cycles, right? You're coming from the Caribbean, you're getting a lot of sun, right? Versus all the way up north. So things to think about for the audience. So the eight-hour thing is a myth. Let's tune into our bodies. Maybe six hours for some people, maybe nine hours. Uh, mm -hmm. what, what, is, what is really an amount? Because there's a lot of people that say, okay, even if you get less sleep, I get it. But once you're at five, that ain't good for the body. Is there a number that's too, too low? Yeah, generally between that five and six, you're really, you're going to be pushing it. Um, back to the quality metrics, though. So we work with uh, a lot of military guys and gals that are, you know, they're deployed, they don't get a lot of hours. So when we look at sort of fatigue stats and recovery for them, we're really looking at hours of deep sleep, hours of REM sleep, getting a good balance. Um, and when you do manage your sleep very tightly, you can shrink that number down. Now, you don't want to do that all the time. And I know people talk about sleep debt. That's kind of another sort of pain point is... Um, what about all this sleep debt I'm accumulating? If we think about it in terms of investing in sleep and creating sleep resilience, it's kind of like financial planning. If you spend all of your time talking about debt management, there's no future planning. There's no thinking about that longevity piece. And sleep is a long play. This is not like I sleep one night, great, and then my whole life is better for the rest of my life. Every day, you got to have that relationship with sleep. And on the days that sleep doesn't work out, even if you're just having fun, you can recover. You can sleep with resiliency for like marathon runners will get better sleep. They're going to run the marathon. They're going to push their bodies to the limit and then they're going to recover on the other side. So it's not to say that the only way you can sleep is always matching that chronotype perfectly. But when you travel, when you are on the road, whatever that is, you're going to push your body past those normal limits. You just need to know what your, your core part is and go back to that and know that you have a sleep bank of resilience as well as sleep depth and manage both sides of that. So if you know you're going to have poor sleep coming up, get a little extra sleep, take a nap, feel better going into it, give yourself some resilience and elasticity in your sleep and that sleep debt relationship. Mm, which, which brings a lot of questions to my head because so many people say, you know, I didn't sleep well the past three days. I, I've had, I had like six hours and then seven hours and back to six can, can in the next three days, can I just make it up by sleeping nine, nine, and nine? Does that, does that count? Will that balance it out? Or is that just a myth? Well, you can. Back to the number of hours isn't always going to solve it. So, for example, I talk a lot about when I really first started the sleep science. So I really dug deep into it. Um, I was wearing multiple trackers, measuring things multiple ways. And so there's multiple types of sleep that you get throughout the night. That's that deep sleep and REM sleep that I talked about. There's also light sleep, but you want to still get a good balance. So I would spend often nine hours in bed, tossing and turning and not getting great sleep because I didn't understand what the different types of sleep needed, what was going to functionally push me to get that better sleep. Because once you're unconscious, you kind of like, don't think about it, right? You're like, oh, I'm just tossing and turning it's done. There are things you can do during the night. There's things you can do during the day. If you set up sleep for success, just like a workout program, your workout may be 30 minutes, but you're setting yourself up for success if you have a plan for that workout program. Sleep is not any different or diet or whatever those pillars of health are. You have to have a plan for it. And if you set it up, yes, you can recover. But don't just think because I slept in on the weekend that it's all the same sleep because deep sleep tends to be the first half of the night. Night. REM sleep tends to be the second half of the night. And again, if we're talking about entrained to that clock, just because you went to bed at 3 a.m. and then you slept till noon, you're not as likely to get deep sleep. So it's not quite all the same of, well, I'll just get nine hours. So you need to be cognizant of, well, if I skip the first three, that means I got probably no deep sleep. I may have gotten better REM sleep, but I probably got not great sleep for that amount. So I need to make sure that I'm still finding the balance in what I'm getting. And we work with shift 
tough workers and athletes that travel all the time. So you can get deep sleep. It's just making sure that you don't just assume it's going to happen. It's a little bit like a unicorn of sleep and you got to plan for it a little better. Oh, I see. I see. So, so, cause a lot of people do that, right? They go, I'm going to go, you know, I, I have this schedule during the week and then I'm going to party during the weekends and maybe on Saturday, Sunday, get a deep sleep, sleep 10 hours. Wow. I feel better. But really what you're saying, it's, it's getting that deep sleep. Now, how, how are we not able to get that deep sleep if we're going to sleep at 2 a.m., 3 a.m.? Are we skipping a window? Is that what I'm hearing? Or, or what's happening that, uh, that we can't get that deep restorative sleep? Yeah, so we need to rewind just a little bit back to the, that evolutionary part of sleep. So sleep is really old. Even organisms that don't have brains sleep. So if you don't have a brain and you don't know when you're supposed to go to sleep, how do you know, right? What, what triggers that sleep-wake mechanism? It turns out your environment plays a really big role in that. And I know people have heard about blue light blocking glasses and light, um, and we'll talk about the chili pad and temperature. It turns out those are really big factors. Also sound and smell, any of your senses are going to be really big triggers for sleep because sleep is in the old part of your brain, not the new part, not that like old as in evolutionary old, not new as in, you know, your age. It has to do with the basics. So if you didn't have a brain, how do you fall asleep? When it gets dark and cold out, that's when you're supposed to go to sleep. That's the release of melatonin that's triggered automatically in your body. So people take melatonin, they may have heard of that. That release automatically happens. There's something called a sleep switch and that is triggered by a change of temperature and a change of light. So as that light changes and as the temperature changes in our body, our body responds by actually having a lower core body temperature in the middle of the night by two degrees. Now, two degrees doesn't sound like a lot, but think about when you're running a fever, two degrees sucks. So two degrees in the middle of the night when you're supposed to be getting great sleep is actually a pretty big difference for your body every single night to be that much colder. And deep sleep wants that cold. It wants to feel like you're going into the valley of that two degrees temperature cooler. And when I say cold, it doesn't have to be freezing. You don't have to sleep on a slab of ice. Your (laughs) body is 98 degrees. So you want to make sure uh, that it cools. You want to make sure that it is able to cool off. So if you have a foam mattress and lots of blankets and your body can't cool off, then it won't get colder and you won't get deep sleep. But if you can trigger your body to get colder and still go into that valley, you can kind of trick it into being, yes, it's the first half of the night when it's getting dark and cool. It is It is 10 o'clock because it's 10 o'clock because it's darker and cooler you can trigger your body to flip that sleep switch. And that's what we do with our shift workers or athletes to help them get that deep sleep, even if it's not that ideal time. So if you go to bed at three, make sure it's super dark and stay super dark and make sure it's as cold as possible because that's what your body thinks is happening during that time. And you might be able to trick it into getting that deep sleep. Um, And that's what happens when we're basically retraining our bodies to look for that deep sleep. Mm, and, and so many of us sabotage that without even knowing, right? We talk about light, and I want to go into that, or the artificial light, and then the temperature changes, and what's, what's sabotaging that? Uh, when it comes to light, right, the sun goes down. What should we be doing after the sun goes down? What is the proper way to ensure that we're going to set ourselves up for the best sleep routine? Yeah, well, back to, you know, think about what cavemen did, they actually slept pretty well. They actually didn't, a lot of the tribes, if you research sleep, don't even have a word for insomnia. Insomnia is a word invented in the last like 50 years. This is a new phenomenon for us. We've generally slept pretty well. We worked really hard and we mostly lived, even if we had indoor homes, so the temperature was still entrained to the outside because we didn't have central heat or central air. So when you think about that for light, same thing, the candlelight in the evening wouldn't have affected their eyes the same way or firelight or whatever, that is all very reasonable light. So it's not zero light, but you're trying to take out what's called blue light. And that is sort of the spectrum in the spectrum of light, just like you picture a rainbow of spectrum. You don't want to have that full spectrum of light because that would indicate to your brain that it's daylight time and it's super bright out. So in the evening, if you're watching TV, so back to when it gets dark outside and your body's ready to go, like would be dimming at dusk, dusk on those last three hours, you want to start telling your body that it is getting darker out. So those bright LEDs in your house, 
try to find a way to dim them or take them down or wear blue light blocking glasses so that your brain is like, oh, it's getting darker out. It's time to go to sleep. The other things we used to do is hang out around the campfire. So we may watch TV with our family, but cuddle more, connect more. Those are all hormones that are released. Oxytocin gets released then. Serotonin gets released, reduce anxiety, get comfortable. Um, All of those are unconscious triggers for our brain to say, okay, I'm settling down. It's getting darker. I'm here with my family. I'm supposed to be relaxing, less anxiety, and then I'm getting ready for bed. So those are all triggers for us to go to sleep. Oh, I love, I love the, the change of evolutionary, but we could still, we don't have to have a, a campfire in our middle of our living room. We could still have that TV on, put our blue blockers, but being together as a, a family, a tribe, like you said, cuddling, opening up those hormones that are just keeping us and telling our body we're safe. We can go to sleep. It's safe to fall asleep. A lot of those safety signals are so important for a body to go, wait a minute, it's okay, it's fine, it's all right, I'm going to go to sleep. <laughs> How many people are really suffering from that? There's people I know who they, go to, they get to bed, let's say 10 o'clock, it's pitch dark, it's nice and cool, but when they're in bed, their nervous system is still on and they're waking up through the night, right? Like It's like a, a caterpillar walks in and they wake up. Mm-hmm. I know you've met people like this. What's happening in their body and how do we start approaching the healing for these folks? Yeah, so actually, I've been one of those people. I have absolutely struggled with sleep, not been a good sleeper. Really, uh, up until about 10 years ago, I've struggled on and off with sleep. And anxiety was a big part of it for me. So if you feel like anxiety or stress or just, you know, whatever that is in your life that is stressing you out, it's important to recognize what is triggering it. Um, and so if it's going to be that um, even just a relationship in your in your household, maybe for some people, but whatever it is, you know, find a way to to sort of box where that is to try to keep it out of that bedtime. But one of the things I'll talk through, and it it sounds very childish, mostly because I have little kids and I've talked through them, but stress is a happy monster in the morning. You know, we talk about cortisol and it gets all of a bad rap, but cortisol is released when you turn off sleep in the morning to get you started, to get that burst. We now have replaced it for a lot of us with caffeine, but we actually get a natural burst of cortisol when we warm up our bodies and we get bright light in the morning. We'll get a release of cortisol. That's the natural way. So we are sort of supposed to be perky in the morning. um, And there's a natural mechanism for that. And then cortisol isn't bad. You get cortisol when you work out as well. But if it comes out of control, so whatever's stressing you out or creating anxiety in your life, if that becomes too big, by the time you get to bed, it is. It's this huge monster in bed with you, staring you down, and you're not able to escape it. Simple things can break that down, but you need to start your day with recognizing that that monster could get big. Look it in the eye and really say, I am going to stop different times a day and be really careful for myself. And I'm a huge BJ. Fog fan, Tiny Habits, if you haven't read the book. Um, but he ties it to an anchor. So if you want to change stress, uh, we all use the restroom on average about seven times a day. And that's a personal moment. No one's messing with that one. Well, I still have dogs and kids that'll come <laughs> in. But in general, close the door, take a moment. You have 30 seconds to yourself, even 30 seconds to a minute of breathing, intention, resetting. Whatever that looks like for you, some people it's prayer, whatever that looks like for 30 seconds to a minute, you'll actually wash the cortisol out of your blood system. So it's actually a proven stress mechanism if you just take 30 to 60 seconds to breathe. And there's breathing exercises all over the internet. There's a million different ways to do this. And it's really easy to get to. But every time you go to the bathroom and don't beat yourself up if you don't remember every time, every time you do it though, it helps. So even if it's one time, one time every few days that you take that extra moment, it's worth it. And then the stress monster will start to shrink. It'll start to get better. It's a process like everything else. It's not like you get skinny the first day you diet. Um, But the first day you start stress managing and then from there forward, recognizing it is a monster you have to face and shrink and get to be a happy, friendly monster is all part of that stress management process, but it doesn't have to be that hard. That's so powerful to think we pee all the time. We can do, what a, what a brilliant moment, right? And we can even envision cortisol moving through our body, right? Or if we're, we're going number two, coming through our body and coming out, whatever it is, how whatever works for you 
to envision that stress because I'm there too. Like I, I can be the tightly wound person. So for me, I found just checking in through the day, not when I'm peeing, but now I love that idea. And then at night, you know, just a, just a 15 minute like, okay, my nervous system's safe, my body's safe. Maybe I'll do a little body meditation. And now I feel really, now I feel like I can go to bed versus I just brush my teeth and go straight to bed. You know, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a little part of that. Now, you don't use the word sleep hygiene, I think, I think I, off air. What, 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 is, what is your word you use and how do you define these moments and what are some things we can do to start preparing for better sleep as the night comes or the day starts? Yeah, so hygiene is just, it's just an ugly word. And it gets a bad rap because, you know, you're especially as a parent, you're always bugging your kids for like, clean your teeth, brush your teeth, do this. And so when we think about ritual, there's all sorts of really interesting things that connect to the word ritual. And again, back to sort of that evolutionary part, ritual wasn't just for going to sleep. Ritual wasn't just for waking up. We had rituals that helped us through whatever it was in our lives. And so when you think about ritual, it actually is part of ingraining yourself to that sort of evolutionary part of what is going to help me fall asleep. And so to, when you think of ritual or even I've used the word recipe, if that's easier, but those kind of things create a sense of love and harmony and ease. Uh, hygiene has a little bit of friction to it. Like it's something you have to do versus a ritual is something that you do on a regular basis that's supposed to help you. It's supposed to relieve you, make you feel better. Um, and so when we think of ritual, that's what we do when we tuck our children in at the same time. So however you went to bed as a child, if that was a great experience, try to duplicate that as an adult. That ritual of being tucked in, reading a story, having a bath, whatever those pieces are, those are the valuable parts that are going to trigger sleep. Um, one of the best things with our athletes when they travel is actually, actually lavender pillow spray. So smell is an extremely powerful sense and we downplay it all the time. But if you can smell what feels like home, no matter where you are in the world, you can actually feel much more like home. So you can train your body through ritual to find when you smell that you go to sleep, when there's a certain soundtrack on, athletes do it for pumping them up all the time. And it's a ritual for, I do this before I work out. A sound ritual is really helpful for sleep as well. But it, that's not really a hygiene because you're not cleaning yourself before you go to sleep. It's not, a, it's not difficult. This should be um, something that helps you fall asleep. So whatever the language is, it's just a word. But when you think about sleep, think about it in terms of this is really valuable. This is when your body heals. You don't heal during the day. This is when you file memories. There's a lot of good that happens during sleep. And so providing ritual around how you go to sleep and how you wake up will actually be empowering. You know, when it comes to overall health, the little daily habits can make a huge difference. Take flossing, for example. Seems like such a minor thing, right? But taking good care of your teeth and gums does way more than just prevent cavities and bad breath. Emerging research shows that it can actually support whole body health and may even prevent cognitive decline as you age. That's wild, right? That's why I'm really excited to tell you about this awesome company called Slate and their game-changing three-in-one electric flosser. It's the only product out there that flosses your teeth, massages your gums, and even scrapes your tongue to remove bacteria to promote fresher breath. I've been using the Slate flosser for about a month now, and I'm hooked. Unlike regular floss picks that you have to jam into your mouth, this electric flosser does all the work for you with 12,000 sonic vibrations per minute, really cleaning out them gums. The innovative gum sweeps Give your gums a gentle massage to increase circulation too. And let's not forget the built-in tongue scraper to help zap bad breath at the source. So to start one of the easiest and healthiest daily habits with the Slate Electric Flosser, go to slateflosser.com and use the code DRG to get 10% off of your very own flosser. That's 10% off of your easy-to-use Slate Electric Flosser at slateflosser.com slash DRG, S-L-A-T-E-F-L-O-S-S-E-R.com. And the code is DRG. You know, living a long life is great. It is. We all want to live longer. But what's even better is living those years in good health, right? Free of the chronic diseases and the ailments. Unfortunately for many, the gap between lifespan and health span is way too wide. And we spent our last years ill, not enjoying our life to the fullest. And that's why I'm always into research 
plant-based products, quality supplements that are coming out to you, the highest, the best of the best, some of the best rigorously tested supplements. And one of my favorite companies across the board is Momentus. And they have two that I use every single day, creatine and collagen. These are the two powerhouses at work. I've been open that I've been working out more four times a week. I'm lifting heavy weights. And these are staples. And, I, and not just me, I think everyone should be out working out, building muscle, staples to muscle repair and muscle growth. But what sets Momentus apart from the rest is its clinically researched formulas. For the collagen, it delivers 15 grams of collagen, supporting your body in various ways. And it's not just one type of collagen, it's all the types of collagen, right? A lot of companies just have one type of collagen. You want all the types of your body's absorbing and utilizing this collagen the way you desire the body to use it. But boy, oh boy, the gold standard for working out, if you're not on this, you don't even have to be working out. You can use it for your brain. It's creatine. Momentous creatine is fantastic. There's no fillers, no additive, pure, effective ingredients you can trust. Trust is everything when it comes to supplements. Momentous third-party test. There's no surprises. What you see on the package is what you get. So if you're like me, you want to feel your body with the best of the best, go to livemomentous.com and use the code DRG for 15% off of creatine and collagen and all their top-notch products. That is L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S.com with the code DRG for your discount. I know the power of just essential oils. It's incredible mm -hmm. how it can bring you back certain scents to moments in your childhood or moments when you were running around or moments when you were at rest. It, it's so powerful and I love that idea. And not enough people are talking about aromatics when you go to bed, you know, just mm -hmm. thinking about that. So, so how, about, how about the people who are in bed and they're staring at the ceiling for two hours? Because a lot of people, that, I, I know there's people who, who can just fall right to sleep but wake up easily. Is it the same thing going on for the people who are in bed staring at the ceiling? Somewhat. So it depends on where they wake up a little bit, what triggers them to wake up. Sometimes it is temperature. Again, they're getting too hot. Modern mattresses combined with that central heating or air conditioning I talked about create a consistent temperature, and sometimes that'll trigger them to wake up. But by far the best trick that I have learned to fall asleep, um, it's it, when I, everybody hears yoga, they think of like stretches and, you know, warrior poses and things like that. But yoga nidra is a practice of yoga that is kind of like meditation. And it actually is a type of meditation I have never met. And, and I've tried it on be close to 100,000 different people, I think, by now. But uh, yoga nidra is amazingly, you just lay there. And what I like about it is it's not just trying to get in your whole, whole own head and try to do that meditation and try to breathe. It's all of those places, but you're also clenching and releasing muscle groups. So you're engaging your body in the process of meditation, which helps anyone that's fidgety. If you're a fidgeter and like, I can't med meditate, I can't sit still. Um, we use it with our athletes. And you can actually get the same kind of recovery doing yoga nidra that you can from getting sleep. So studies will measure sort of the outcome and recovery and HRV recovery. And if you can't sleep, I just put yoga nidra because I, I'm, hotels for me can be awful. And I will put yoga nidra on repeat. You can, we've got some on our site again on sleep.me, but there's YouTube, Google, you'll find yoga nidra meditations. Pick one you like, pick a voice you like, put it on your phone, have it as a soundtrack. But you can play that over and over again for those two hours and just lay there and be resting. That's the most important part of sleep. I do back to that eight hours. We put so much on this sleep thing on how to be perfect. And if you're a type A, you'll never get a perfect sleep score on those darn sleep trackers. You're never going to get exactly eight hours on the button. Even if you get 7.56, whatever it is, you're never going to get the exact numbers. Let that go. Sleep is about exact recovery feeling good for you. A good recovery means you feel like you have superpowers in the morning. You should wake up feeling like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, that was great. Everybody's had at least one of those in their life where they get out of bed and are like, that worked. That was amazing. That's what you want to have. That's the ideal. That's the 100%. That's the amazing. Once you have that, you have your measuring stick. Don't measure against anything else. I love that. I love that. Just measuring within yourself, right? Because Jumping out of bed and feeling like you want to tackle the world is the best feeling, you know? And a lot of us, unfortunately, that's few and far between because we're suffering so much with, like we said, artificial light, right? Not, not connecting, not feeling safe, being anxious throughout the day. Oh, and then our hormones are a mess before bed. So these interventions are so important. We talked about temperature a little bit, and, and I want to ask you then, 
aside, and I want to talk about the chilly sleep, aside from that, what about the room temperature? Is there a specific number that we need to be turning down our heater to? Okay, so this one is, back to the eight-hour myth, is kind of a pet peeve because everybody is different. And the temperature of our body is 98 degrees. And so when you talk about ambient temperature, as a scientist, there's so many variables between what happens at that ambient temperature and your body that it is really hard to give one temperature to set the room. Because if your bed is made from foam, that foam particles, what they do is those little bubbles that absorb your pressure and make it feel really comfortable. Also absorb heat. And then when I get too full and the bubble can't hold anymore, it pushes the heat back into you. Ironically, the middle of the night when you're trying to be coldest. Um, so the mattress has an effect. How many blankets and pillows and sheets are on there? Um, we talked about spouses. Um, my spouse, uh, my co-inventor, he put off, he can put off heat. Like you can feel it coming off his body when he's asleep. Okay. It's like a heater. He could like be put out uh, as a service. But it is, it, there's so many things. What you need to think about is your body in order to achieve two degrees colder has to be able to get to thermal neutral, which means it's able to put that off and the room is neutral to cooler. So think about what are all the things in your bed. Really do a survey of how do I sleep? What do I need to sleep? And that will help you give you the right temperature. But back to the broken part of what we're, once we're asleep, we don't really measure temperature from a comfort perspective. We're measuring temperature from a brain as far as what kind of sleep we should be getting during that time. And we're matching it to the circadian rhythm. So you can help trigger that before you go to sleep. Back to that change of temperature. And we're going to talk about a bell curve because everyone's like, well, I don't know if I want to get cold to fall asleep. So one extreme is people can actually put on socks and they're like, well, putting on socks or having a warm bed, that triggers me to go to sleep. So if you warm up your outside layer, that'll actually force your core body to start circulating its temperature because you're actually too hot. Think about at that point, you're actually increasing circulation by warming up. And so that'll actually help cool you down. Now, that's some people. Now, the other extreme is people will need an ice bath. So I work with uh, Terry Walls, who has MS. So she has extenuating circumstances. A lot of people in disease states like MS really struggle with getting to sleep because of that circulation part. Um, so she is a chilly sleep user. But prior to that, she would use a 20-minute ice bath an hour before bed because when you first come out of it you'll be revived but within that sort of 40 minutes of having that ice bath you will be knocked out like an elephant tranquilizer so what you also need to start thinking about is what does it feel like back to that sleep ritual when you were a kid or when it feels really good if if you had the ideal circumstances would you sleep outside in a tent where it's a little bit cool when do you like climbing into cool crisp sheets or do you want to climb in and warm up first those will all be be questions you can ask yourself to say, okay, what is that ideal temperature? Because I used to sleep really wrong, even with my chili pad, because I was like, oh, I'm supposed to sleep cold, but I like to warm up to fall asleep. So when I go to read a book, I have my chili pad on warm, I warm up my body, and then 20 minutes from falling asleep, I lower that temperature because I'm no longer measuring in my brain, that comfort setting, and I'm able to get really amazing sleep. And then I also warm up then as well in the morning. Mm. So it's kind of a complicated answer, but it's sort of like chronotype of what time should you go to bed and how many hours do you need? It's going to yeah. depend a little bit on you. And the way you really heal thyself, that's why I love what you're doing, is be your own scientist. Don't just because, you know, Dr. G goes to bed at 10 o'clock, I should go to bed at 10 o'clock, or he sets his temperature to 68, you got to set it to 68. Think about what feels good for you. And that is the best ritual around sleep that you can have. And then you can have amazing sleep. Yeah, amen to that. Let your body be the one who's telling you, yes, this works for me. This is about getting back in touch with your body and feeling what is right for you. What foods, what sleep ritual, right? What, what exercise type, which should you be doing? Which one you shouldn't be doing? It's all about coming back to yourself. And I love that you, you said that. It's so, so important because I know what works for me doesn't work for my brother, right? It, it's just different for different people. But I will ask you this, and this has been on my mind. I know if I eat past 9 o'clock, I am sweating in bed without fail. 
I wake up in a sweat. When I eat around seven, I am dead asleep. It, does eating affect your sleep? Yeah, unfortunately, eating, alcohol, all of those things are all having an effect on how you sleep. A lot of people, unfortunately, during the pandemic, more people were drinking than ever. A lot of people, alcohol is a sedative, so it can help you fall asleep. If you're anxious and sort of feeling stressed out, you'd reach for the alcohol and it'll help you fall asleep. The problem with alcohol and food with bed and trying to go to sleep is it increases your metabolism because your body has to work through that, either digesting the food or getting rid of the alcohol as a poison out of your system. So it's going to increase your body temperature. And we already talked about that. Your body wants to be two degrees colder and you just gave it a job to do. So now it can't be two degrees colder. It's going to be hotter in order to burn through that. Uh, I will say um, my best fix, because I love hacks um, and we work with a lot of athletes. So if you do have one of our products, especially the Doc Pro, just crank it down colder when you go out drinking or if you're eating late because we can't all avoid that. Sleep is ultimately a huge buzzkill. It's the party pooper, you know, who wants to go to bed at 10 o'clock and stop eating at six o'clock and not drink ever. Um, But if you do do that, really think about turning down your temperature. Maybe that is when you are a little more careful, even having a cold shower before you go to bed, making sure you're doing everything you can to still reduce that uh, metabolism effect and you'll still be able to get great sleep you just have to have the right hacks for it Um, Mm -hmm. but it is going to affect your sleep if if you don't be careful that way so you heard it here if you're eating late or you've been drinking take a cold shower put your air in your house down if you got the chili put it down to at least try to negate that heating up and that's what happens with me nine o'clock i i eat and then middle of the night i i always wake up sweaty always yeah just crank it down colder just, Just crank, crank it down, down colder. Nice colder. I love yeah. that. Is there any other hacks? that we didn't mention here that have been really powerful in your work with athletes or just your work with people in general that we haven't uh, mentioned here? You know, I think the biggest one, if we've kind of talked around it, is that sleep is a primitive part of who we are. And so as we get older, um, the 20-year-old sleep that we could, most of us could sleep pretty well, uh, even gets harder and harder as we age. And really think about sleep in terms of your best retirement plan ever. So every disease of the elder. Every single one is attached to lack of sleep. Every mental illness has comorbidity with lack of sleep. And as we age and we have all these nice images of Charles Schwab or whatever the financial planner thing, and you're pushing your grandkids on the swing, but if you don't sleep, your cognitive self, your physical self will not be there. Even if you've saved the Dickens and you have a great retirement plan, So plan for great health your entire life because that is the best thing you can do for yourself. We as entrepreneurs all swore certainly 20 years ago, we were going to sleep when we're dead. We're going to do this. Like you said, get up early in the morning to catch that early bird gets the worm, all that stuff. It's actually not as good for us in the end. What good is all those gains if we're not there to get it? And that is the most important hack for sleep is just to fall in love with it. Respect it. Don't treat it like crap. Give it what you can and it will give back tenfold to you and your health. These days, these days, it seems like everyone is carrying on a beverage, whether it's soda or flavored water, or kombucha, or coffee or tea, but not all beverages are created equal when it comes to quality and health benefits. That is why I become obsessed with Peaks Sun Goddess Matcha. I've been using this for, it's one of the first supplements I really invested in. It's four years ago, probably. And it's not just any old matcha powder. We're talking organic ceremonial grade matcha tea that has been meticulously screened for pesticides, heavy metals, mold, and even radioactive isotopes. Peak takes no shortcuts. Their matcha is cultivated by ninth degree tea masters in Kagoshima, Japan, using century old traditions. Their plants are shaded for 35% longer than usual to maximize the production of vital compounds like L-theanine for calm, steady energy and chlorophyll for its detoxifying anti-aging properties. I start every morning with a frothy cup of sun goddess matcha, not just for energizing my body. You know, we all want to get that caffeine kick. Yeah, okay. But for the amazing gut health, metabolism boosting and antioxidant benefits. 
The phytonutrients nurture my digestive system. The EGCG compounds help my body burn calories efficiently. And the chlorophyll gives my skin the awesome reading. You see I'm glowing right now, right? That's because of the matcha. There's perfectly proportioned packets that are easy to mix with water whenever I need to pick me up. So easy to make a consistent self-care ritual. Peak is offering you, the Heal Thyself listener, 15% off of their sun goddess matcha plus a free beaker and a rechargeable frother when you go to peaklife.com slash DRG. They're so confident that you're going to love it. There's even a 30-day money-back guarantee. No code at checkout. Just go to P-I-Q-U-E-L-I-F-E.com slash DRG. You're going to get 15% off plus all those freebies. I love that. I love what a way, what a way to end that part. I want you to tell me and everyone how powerful, I already know how powerful, how powerful the chili sleep is. What is it doing? What is this invention that, you know, I've talked about on the show, we've mentioned in the beginning, so we get to know what we can do with it. Yeah, so actually, we it, it is absolutely, Todd slept hot, my co-inventor, my husband, and I was always cold and trying to put up berms to, like, manage my temperature. So it is exactly that. It's a thermostat for your bed. It runs water, no electricity, so it's not like electric blanket where you're going to have EMFs and and bad things in your bed. It's just water. And it's just through a tube. Um, his uncle invented the water bed. So it's not gallons of water. This is just tubes. It really works like a radiator. And the power is, I really like to believe, I love sports cars, that I'm a Ferrari engine. And you're not going to run your Ferrari engine without managing its temperature. And at night, when your body's trying to heal and recover and do its best work, it needs to have its temperature managed. And this is what it's doing. You're taking your Ferrari engine that's putting off heat and it's sucking off that extra heat and it's allowing you to get great sleep so your Ferrari engine works in the morning uh, just like you need to work in the morning. It's the real deal. My sleep has been better. If you have a partner that you sleep in the bed with, their sleep will be better, especially because you guys run in different temperatures and I know how that can be. Um, uh, you guys the, mentioned the big thing for me was the EMFs. That's the first question I asked. You, you, there's an airplane mode option. Everything is off, just like no, you're not being exposed to anything. And tested for chemicals, very important, especially if you're sleeping. So it is fantastic stuff. Uh, I love it. Thank you for just brightening our minds with these sleep recommendations. How many of us, something so fundamental to our being, to our health, still have no idea what's good for us. And at least you give us such awesome direction about what is the best things we can do to set up this foundation of a pillar of our health and that's sleep. Thank you so much, Tara. All the love. Where can we find you? Uh, where can we find out more information if we want to follow? Yeah, so you can find me on sleep.me, but I also have my own website of terrayoungblood.com. So between there, there's lots of blogs. If you want to get the citations and dig into the studies and things that I talked about, look through the blogs at the bottom of each blog. Um, there's going to be all the citations that support it. I'm really big as a scientist on making sure that's there. So if you want more or just message me on Instagram or Facebook or wherever you are, and, and I'm sure you can find me there under Terra Youngblood. I love that, Tara. Thank you so much for joining the show, and we will chat later. Thank you. Great. Thanks for having me. So since the rise of social media over the past few years, there's been an explosion to accessibility of proactive and alternative health interventions. And there are a lot of them out there. So as we use social media and the users start going up, so too so there's a rising of accessibility to more and more information or misinformation, even worse, harmful interventions. TikTok might be the worst overall. There's so much information out there, there's so many people on it, and it's generally a younger audience that is latching onto trends that may not be helpful. For example, I saw a weird health hack or a weird health trend called slugging which consists of dousing your face in petroleum for better skin health. Now, this trend is failing to mention that petroleum jelly is derived from, well, petroleum. And that brings an increased risk of exposure to harmful byproducts. For example, benzene, which is a carcinogen, a big problem. So today, like I do every once in a while, I'm going to go over the hottest health trends on social media. This is going to be part one because there's so many of them. We're going to break it down to six and then the next week, Knowledge Bomb, we're going to go over the other six. And I'm going to give it a stamp of truth or myth on this review of TikTok trends. What will we review today? We're going to go over rice water for hair growth. 
Is that even real? Does it help stimulate hair growth? And should we be doing it? What about this trend of the internal shower for a flat stomach or improved bowel movements, especially if you're constipated? What is the internal shower? Is it safe? Should we be doing it? You ever heard of oil pulling? That's ancient, but so many people are being put onto it now on TikTok. Is it real? Should we be doing it for our oral health? What about bone broths? Now, this has been out for a while. To me, it's not a trend, but now it's trending a lot on TikTok. Should we be doing bone broth? Nature cereal, what is it? Is it healthy? Should we be doing nature cereal, giving it to our kids? And lastly, cycle syncing. What in the heck is a cycle sync and is it real? So we'll be going deep in to these TikTok trends. Rice water for hair growth. Does this TikTok trend actually work? When you go on TikTok, you're gonna see over 170 million hashtags on just rice water for hair growth. Now here's a lowdown. What does it look like? Well, basically you steep rice water for up to three days and then you saturate the hair. You leave it in for a certain amount of time and then rinse it out. Now that sounds fairly easy, good for beginners, low level of entry, but does it work scientifically? Eh, there's not any studies on rice water equating to hair growth. With that said, rice water can have some minerals, proteins, vitamins, and these can help strengthen your hair theoretically but it's unlikely to get into the follicle. With that said, there is some intriguing info on rice bran extract though. Not much on this at all either, but I did find a research study in the Journal of Food and Nutrition Research. And the thing is, they didn't use rice water, but they used a mineral extract from the bran. And the extract was rich in minerals and cleared of contaminants that are found in rice. So some of the minerals that were found are silica, calcium, magnesium, potassium, sodium, and phosphorus, which are gonna be essentially helpful for hair strengthening in general. What did they find in this study? That this rice bran extract may prolong the antigen phase of hair growth. That is the growth phase of your hair. And it increases type one collagen, fibronectin, alkphos, alkaline phosphatase, which is correlated with hair regeneration, type four collagen, Versicin, which is an indicator of hair follicle formation through the activation of certain pathways. This is a good thing. In addition, it was shown to reduce the expression of certain inflammatory pathways, mostly interleukin pathways. And this was seen in cultured dermal papillae cells. So what does that all mean, the scientific part? Basically, this rice bran extract did get to the follicle and actually did promote hair growth and reduce inflammation. So what's my final take? Rice water for hair loss is a myth. It may theoretically strengthen your hair, but it's not gonna grow it back. Rice bran extract is very intriguing. More studies are needed for consistency, especially in humans, but there may be truth to this one. Regardless, both interventions would be considered safe, but talk to your doctor first. Have you done this internal shower drink for a flat stomach and better bowel movement? This is claiming to be the remedy for constipation all over TikTok with over 100 million hashtags. That's crazy. So basically, it's two tablespoons of chia seeds in a glass of water with a squeeze of lemon. You let it sit, and then you drink it down as fast as you can in an effort to get things moving. Will it help with constipation? Well, yeah, for the most part. There's about 10 grams of fiber in an ounce of chia seeds. Two tablespoons is an ounce, so you're getting a quick shot of fiber. The average American gets 15 grams of fiber a day. It's half of what is recommended. Chia seed is soluble fiber, so it attracts water, bulks up, and will create more bulk in the stool. So as you let it sit in water, the chia bulks up in itself, and you drink it down, and there you go. Now, there are benefits to ingesting chia in itself. They're nutritious, they contain some antioxidants, they're high in anti-inflammatory omega-3s. Now, something to look out, if you don't eat a lot of fiber and then you wanna start this intervention, go slow. Go about five grams of fiber per week because your gut, your gut microbiome in particular, is gonna take time to adjust. So people who often go from no fiber or very little fiber to a lot of fiber are going to experience some uncomfortable gastrointestinal symptoms. Be careful when you're swallowing because the chia becomes gelatinous in water over time, you may theoretically be at risk of choking. So don't drink it down as fast as you can. I actually don't agree with that part. Go slowly, it's okay, you can. And if you hate chia, you can also have a little bit more than a couple of raspberries and you're gonna get the same amount of fiber. So for the internal cleanse, it's not necessarily a cleanse, it's just getting your bowels moving, 
Final take? Yeah, truth. I'm gonna tell you if oil pulling is a myth. This is a new TikTok trend, but social media is about three to 5,000 years too late. It's been around in ancient Ayurvedic practices for so long. There's over 200 million hashtags on TikTok for oil pulling. So this is trending now, but it's nothing new. But is it a myth or is it truth? That's very simple. All you do is take a tablespoon of coconut or sesame oil, which Ayurveda uses, put it in your mouth, swish around for 20 minutes, and then you spit it out in the trash. And the claim is that it keeps your mouth balanced. It prevents plaque. It heals your gums. And also in Ayurveda, it is said to heal 36 different ailments like diabetes. But is it real? A 2020 systematic review in Hellion Journal reviewed all of the data on coconut oil pulling, and here's what they found. Coconut oil pulling has a significant effect on plaque index score when compared to the control group. The evidence for coconut oil pulling having a reduction in salivary bacterial colony count was variable, although they did seem some evidence and benefit to that. And with regard to salivary streptococcus mutans, that is the bacteria that causes cavities, the evidence suggests that coconut oil pulling has no change when compared to a control after two weeks intervention. The evidence suggests that chlorhexidine mouthwash use has no statistical difference compared to the use of coconut oil pulling for plaque score, gingival score, and bleeding on probing, and no adverse effects were found. So what does that all mean? So basically what it means is that they found that coconut oil pulling had an effect on reducing bacterial colonies, but it was variable. They didn't see an effect on the change for S. mutans, the bacteria that causes uh, cavities. They did see better plaque index scores and the coconut oil pulling mouthwash was comparable to chlorohexidine mouthwash, the gold standard. And as a heads up, even though this was a systematic review, there needs to be better clinical power trials to make these definitive claims. With that said, it seems that coconut oil does benefit oral health, but not systemic health. There's no evidence that it reverses cavities, but it's likely to help with plaque and gingival health. Similarly, there's been some studies on children utilizing sesame oils at reducing that bacteria that I just mentioned, strep mutans, and theoretically reducing tooth decay. So my final take, coconut oil, likely truth to it. Bone broth is trending. And it's been trending for a while, but there's over 170 million hashtags on TikTok about bone broth. What is it? It's basically stewed animal tissue and bones that are put together in a stew over a prolonged amount of time, and you drink it as a soup. The paleo movement exploded this. So should you be drinking bone broth? Well, it depends. It's different for everyone. Bone broth is claimed to help with inflammation, gut health, skin health, joint health. But research-wise, when you look into bone broth, there's not much there. Gut inflammation is something that you will find behind bone broth, but in animal models. And it shows that bone broth is helpful at reducing ulcerative colitis-associated inflammatory proteins and decrease those symptoms of ulcerative colitis. And that's likely from the glutamine that is found in the gelatin. Bone broth can be very nutritious. There are different nutrients that are found in bone broth and animal bones, like calcium, magnesium, potassium, phosphorus, and other trace minerals. Collagen and the amino acids that are found are theoretically going to help your skin health. Not always, because collagen is not always used for your skin. But the glucosamine and chondroitin that is found in bone broth, we know theoretically can help joints. Now, in the marrow, there's vitamin A for your immune system, vitamin K2 for your bones, omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids. The final take on bone broth is this. It emerged with the paleo trend. And although there's not any legitimate research on direct effect of these stews, it seems to me theoretically that they're not only nutritious, but may offer some relief from other ailments. There's an ongoing concern for me with the quality, particularly because it's coming from the bones. And bones have the affinity to bring up and accumulate heavy metals in the body of the animal. So if you're having bone broth, you gotta make sure the company is testing for heavy metals. Should everyone be on bone broth? It depends on you. It can really be uh, a detriment to people who are sensitive to histamine. So again, depends on the person. But bone broth, although it doesn't have all of the studies out there, we do need more studies, there's likely some truth to it. Nature's cereal. What the heck is nature's cereal? Well, it's been all over TikTok. This is probably the highest trending health trend out there with 980 million hashtags on TikTok. And the name, well, is a little misleading. It's not really cereal. It's pomegranate seeds, blackberries, and blueberries in a bowl of coconut water. Very simple. Other people use variations with alternative milks, maybe fruit juices. Do I like it? 
Well, if this is a way to encourage people to consume a variety of fruits and increase their fiber, increase their antioxidant load, get some more vitamins and minerals, then I'm all for it. The fiber in these berries and the polyphenols are feeding your gut. You're getting anthocyanidins for your blood vessels, your heart, DNA protection, and the coconut water is getting you electrolytes too, which is amazing, right? Because a lot of us are so dehydrated. Is this a meal? No. You need some fat and protein to balance it and to balance overall your blood sugar. But with that said, the cereal isn't really a cereal, but it's not really a meal either. It's a great snack that you can have. It's a fun association for children. They can make it with you. So if this is an easy way of getting more antioxidants and fiber and overall good gut healing food into your diet, then go ahead and do it. I also would say this would be really good for physical performance, either before or after a workout or a competition. So final take, I like it, truth. And the last one for today. Have you heard of cycle syncing? It has over 236 million hashtag views on TikTok and it's sweeping social media, but what is it? Well, cycle syncing is when you change lifestyle habits like your diet or exercise routine to match the phases of your menstrual cycle. In this practice, you follow four phases, the menstrual, which is part of the follicular phase, that day one through five, follicular phase, day six through 14, ovulatory phase, day 15 to 17, and luteal phase, day 18 to 28. So for example, depending on where you are in your phase, you would generally speaking, follow your hormonal rhythms and how they affect your energy. So for fitness, there's different type of workouts that can be done based on the demands on where you are on your cycle. So this cycle syncing recommends actually resting during your menstrual phase, hiking or light jogging during the follicular, doing more physically demanding workouts during the ovulatory, and strength training or Pilates during your luteal. They also talk about nutrition. Because your hormones are moving in different ways through the different phases with rises and falls, the theory is that you're gonna consume foods and drinks that are supporting this flow. And also avoiding foods that are disrupting this flow, which is actually really intriguing the nutrition part for me. Now look, everyone is different. People have their own unique cycles, but I like the idea that this brings more intentionality for women to connect with their flow, their energy, and their nutritional yeses, and what to avoid, and even their libido rhythms. I'm a fan of anything that creates a reconciliation with the language of the body and connecting back to it. And although this is trending now, guess what? I had a guest back in episode number 11, one of the first episodes we've ever had, talk about cycle syncing and the four phases of the cycle and aligning your life around it. And that was by Alyssa Love. So go check it out if this has piqued your interest. Final take, try it out and you tell me. And that's the knowledge bomb. There's a lot of trends out there. Doesn't mean you gotta follow them all. Doesn't mean all of them are good for you, but it also means some of them got some stuff to it and it may be helpful. This is my goal is to clear out the confusion for all of you out there. Listen. Go to hts.today and get the Heal Thyself merch. We got the clean, organic, sustainable, most stylish merch out there. Represent Heal Thyself wherever you are with the hottest swag out there. hts.today, check it out and enjoy.